Abe, I know this is your gathering, but I'd like to take a moment to talk about family. Terrific. I know we're going through a rough, rough time, and I just want to thank everyone for coming together tonight. Do you supposed to be burning? Because by coming together under these trying circumstances, we're showing future generations, your Ethans, your Esthers, that in times of hardship, self-sacrifice is often necessary. Like the sacrifice I made pulling 13 Jews out of Germany in 1943. There we go. When I got that call, I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know how to do it. I just knew there were 13 Jews that wanted out of Germany, and I was the man to get them out. The other day, sitting in Temple, looking at all the empty seats next to us, seats we paid for as a family, I was filled with great sadness. <sighs> Something wrong, Abe? Seats I paid for, actually. You were going to pay me back, but... Oh, so it's about money. I didn't realize you were hurting it. I'm not hurting. I'm just saying we had an agreement. Well, you seem to have a nice life. You've got your lovely home. You've got your servant here. Zelda is not a servant. She's an She's employee. Family. family, too. And well paid. With vacation time. She went to Holland last year. Iceland. Iceland. Better than Holland. In ancient times, we were the slaves. We don't own slaves. I don't own her. Can you just calm down? Eat some no soup? No one's talking to you. What are you going to do about it, Abe, hmm? Going to let Miriam here just suddenly drift along without a husband to protect her? She's going to do what with her life? Sit around all day long eating bonbons, watching Queen for a day. Is that what you want for her? Of course not. That's what's going to happen. It's not. It's done. Do you recognize that dinner table? It happens. Uh, maybe, hopefully not quite that dramatic because we're Midwestern Iowans and we're nice and we're just passive aggressive about it. And we just hold it in and talk to everybody else about how offensive that person was at the dinner table. But Abe and Moish have it out. You don't have to know anything about this show. It doesn't matter. I certainly am not recommending this show. But I watch this show because I married up and my wife watches this show. So that's how that works. But but I look for redeeming qualities. There aren't a ton of them in this show, but there's this storyline. It's a deep, deep, deep subplot. It's nowhere close to the main point of the story, but I love it. This is Moish on the left. This is Abe on the right. They couldn't be more opposite, even though they're both Jewish and living in New York in the 1960s, I think it is. And Abe is a Columbia mathematics professor and highly, highly educated and everything's precise and perfect and in his place. And, and, and Moish is a self-made businessman. He started his own clothing manufacturing company. He's pulled himself up by his own bootstraps and they just have a different way of seeing the world. And they clash. His son and her, his daughter got married. And then they get separated in the show. And that's where we pick up that scene that you just saw where they're going after each other. The stress of the separation of their kids is obviously needling into both of them. They've had it. They lose it. They lash out at each other. And the fireworks start to fly. And that's the way the world handles enemies. That's the way the world handles conflict. Is you either let people have it or you gossip about it to all your friends and you build little armies and, and, and you don't speak a truth and love to each other. What if the world's way is wrong? What if the norms of this world, the way that this world teaches us by what the world says, by the examples the world sets, by, by the patterns that this world says, what, what if it's wrong? What if this isn't the best way to handle our conflicts? What if this isn't the best way to, to handle enemies? What, what if this isn't it? What if, what if getting mad and angry and dismissive and saying, you're out of my life, you're, you're done, what if, that, what if there's a better way? 
There is. It's God's way. Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. If you aren't careful, you'll hear that. You'll read it in the Bible. You'll go, yep, that looks familiar. That sounds pretty close to what I've always thought that that said in Romans 12. So there it is. I know that verse. Maybe I've got it memorized. But do you live it? Got really quiet all of a sudden. It's one thing to know what the Bible says. It's one thing altogether more challenging more counterintuitive, more countercultural. I mean, if you want a radical, radical alternative to the norms of this world, you won't find anything more different than the Christian life. Think about applying this. How hard it is to apply these words from God to our daily lives. I do not want, my sinful human nature does not want to bless those who persecute me persecute me I want to squish their heads I want to just I just want to push them out of life I I I want them to be done for I do not want to pray that God will bless them I would prefer to curse them that's what my sinful nature longs for that's what that's what everybody else is doing almost and so it just seems like that's how you handle it and if we never learn a better way And if we never take the risk and accept the challenge, I'm not saying this is easy. This is hard. This is really hard. And we're not talking about things that, let's be really clear on this. This is so important because too often church teaching is, you got to do this or you know your salvation is at risk. No, it's not. Your salvation is dependent on God's grace and what Jesus Christ has done through his death and resurrection and you putting your trust and your faith in that. That's what God's word says over and over, repeatedly. But now that you have been saved, what are you going to do with that salvation? Now that you have been set free, what choices will you make? Now it's really up to you and me. Will we go the world's way or will we go Scripture's way? The Romans 12 way. I'm on record of saying that this is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. It's the most brilliant summary of what the Christian life is supposed to look like that's ever been written on any paper ever. I mean, if you want to get into a good discipline, read Romans 12 every day once a month before you go to bed or first thing when you wake up. Soak in it. Take it in sips instead of gulping it. Take it a little bit at a time. Apply a line at a time, a verse at a time. It's absolutely relevant, practical, uh, challenging, countercultural. It's you're going to be a fish swimming upstream in a downstream world if you apply this to your daily life. So you hear all that, you're like, you know what? I'll pass. I prefer to have the kind of Christianity that kind of fits in with the world. You know, not too crazy, not too radical, not too edgy. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take this this whole Jesus thing I got going in my life, and, and I'm not gonna go crazy with it. In fact, I'm gonna kind of water it down and soften it up and try to conform it to the ways of this world, which takes us into our topic sentence for Romans 12, this brilliant summary of what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Let's read it together. If you can see a screen, whatever campus, local site you're at of hope, uh, you're watching online, we're still, people are watching all over, hello Liberia, hello everybody, we're getting you a better screen. It's going to be a big one, it's on the way if you were here last week, so thank you for that. It's coming. Thanks for your generosity, Hope. Don't copy the behavior and custom. Oh, we're going to read this together. So I'm getting so excited to preach this to you. I mean, this is the theme verse. Okay. 
Let's read it together slowly and calmly. <laughs> Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Sip it. Soak it up. How challenging that is. Don't try to take your faith and blend it in. Make sure that it fits the, the, the world you're trying to live for. Instead, change the way you think. The original Greek word for change the way you think is repentance. That's in English. It's, it's, repentance literally means, in the original Greek of the New Testament, change the way you think. You say, I thought it meant you change your morality. Well, it's not going to happen until you change the way you think. Literally, what repentance means has nothing to do with behavior. It's the way you think. Because if you think a different way, if you see life a different way, if you see your purpose and goal and the intent for which God has created you a different way than the way the world sees it, which is, hey, get, get what you can. It's all about you. It's all about what you can get, even spiritually. It's just this private sort of pursuit that you have. Try, try to consume as much God as you can. And Romans 12, 2 comes along and says, no. That's the behavior of this world when it comes to spirituality. What's in it for me? What can I get? That's my first question. Don't do that, the Bible says. Instead, let God transform you. Experience what it means to be a new person. I think a lot of us, all of us on some level, want to be made new. We want to get fresh starts. We want to be forgiven. We want to be blessed. We want to have God's grace for us. We want to live this whole new life. We want to follow Jesus. Well, it's going to happen, that new life, that transformation when we change the way we think. Let, let me break it down from this topic sentence, the same verse in Romans 12, and I, I get to be your tour guide through Romans 12 today. We're going to start with the easier side of the equation, then we're going to get to the, the more difficult side. The easier side is life with friends, and then we'll talk about life with enemies. Life with friends, well, that's, that's pretty fun. I mean, who doesn't want friends, and who doesn't want to be a good friend, and who doesn't want to hang out with those friends? Here's what the Bible says, Romans 12, and here's the Romans 12 in parentheses up here, and so each number in the verses, if you're keeping score, if you want to just remember this, is the verse in Romans 12. So this is Romans 12.10 that says, take delight in honoring each other. You're like, oh, I can do that, that's easy. But it doesn't come naturally. I got a phone call my wife did this week from her sister Sue in Colorado. She said, big news, exciting news. Our son Alex is pregnant. Well, Alex isn't pregnant, his wife Jessica is pregnant. <laughs> If pregnant, this is going to be their third child. That means Sue now has her third grandchild. And Sally, her sister, my wife, we have one grandchild. <laughs> and so you could look at that in your, in, in your worldly way, in my worldly way, the temptation, and I'm telling you, of course, I'm human. The temptation is there. Oh, great. She's so happy for you. That's just wonderful. You're having more and more grandkids. You'll probably have 50. That's awesome. But ours is the best. But never mind that. So, so you, start, you start competing. You start playing the game, right? You start saying, well, instead of celebrating with my sister-in-law and her family, instead of jumping up and down, yeah, man, that's awesome. The temptation is, what about me? What about what I want? How come I don't get to make this call? How come it's not happening like that? How come we don't have three? 
well, she's way older than Sally, so maybe that's it. I don't know. <laughs> Two years. But, but there's, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's it. The, the temptation is to lose your joy. It's to miss the party. So glad we didn't do that right away. I mean, the temptation creeps up, and Sally and I look at each other, we're like, man, that really is awesome. We're so happy for them. This is our family. This is, this is part, we get to celebrate this too. This is awesome news. This is great news. We love Alex and Jessica. We love Sally's sister. So we, we love the whole family. We, we love them. It's just great, great news. Unless it's all about me. And then I'm going to miss the party. I'm going to miss the celebration. The Bible says in the totality of Scripture and over and over and specifically in all sorts of ways throughout Romans 12, this roadmap for what the Christian life is supposed to look like, that love leads to joy. Who doesn't want more joy? You know, deeper than happiness, joy. Untouchable joy. Who doesn't want that? How do you get that? How do you find that joy that isn't dependent on everything always being perfect? Everything always clicking for you? Everything always working out? How do you have that deeper joy? that goes far beyond a more surface happiness. How do you find that? How do you capture it? The Greek word in the original uh, text of the New Testament for joy is kara. Everyone say kara. Say it again. Say kara wherever you are. The Greek word that love points us to, God loves us, the Bible says, so much, and he does this by his amazing grace. For God so loved the world, he gave us his only son. Think about this for a moment. I didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. God's love. In fact, if God was a just God, from a worldly perspective of what justice is, from the world's view, the conformative view of what righteousness is, God should look at us and say, I dismiss you. You're out of my family. I will not be friends with you. I will not associate with you anymore. Because you've offended me. You have sinned against me. You have committed immoral behavioral actions. You're, out, you're dismissed. From the world's view of righteousness and justice, the way we treat one another, we're no longer in the lineup for potential friendship, for being family with God. We're dismissed. If that's the way God saw it, but God does not see it that way, instead God pours out his amazing grace for us. Which simply means this. I love you even though you haven't earned it. I love you even though you don't deserve it. I love you freely. It's a gift. It has nothing to do with your behavior. I choose to love you. And if it isn't that kind of a free choice, it isn't grace. And it isn't this agape, grace-based love. The Greek word for love is agape. The Greek word for grace is charis. Remember what the Greek word for joy is. What was it again, church? It was kara. Charis, kara. If those sound alike, it's because they are alike. They're the same root word. Did you know the same root word for grace is the same root word for joy? In other words, if you want to have joy, there's going to have to be grace. Grace for you, but also grace filling you up and then naturally overflowing out of you to the world around you. Offering the same grace for others, even though it's unearned, undeserved, It would be freely given in the same way God gives it to us. We give it to others, and now the charis leads to the kara. Well, it's the same thing. And you can't have kara without the charis. You can't have joy without the grace. 
take delight in honoring each other. It's graduation week for a lot of you, or it was last week, or it'll be next week. A lot of people graduating from high school in our church family. We asked for photos <laughs> that we put up on a video. It was on the screens, the big screens all over this building in West Des Moines, different campuses, or have lots of graduates in your campuses and local sites too. We had so many pictures. It's a 13-minute video, and it's, it goes pretty fast. It's like, here's one, here's another one, here's another one. That's absolutely awesome, and we praise God for that. Now, the temptation is, for those of you who don't have grads in your household, er, when you don't have them, like, we don't have any grads in our household this year, well, that's for them. That's for the people who have graduates. That's for the high school grads and the college grads and the grad school grads and the, and the beauty school grads and the preschool grads. It's for the grads. And most of us, because it's just how, you know, timing goes, don't have grads at home. So we say, well, that's for this. Nah, they can have their cake. Blah, 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 blah. And there's pictures up there. And well, well, whatever. That's not our family. Oh, but it is. Do you not know what God's word says about this? That we are the family of God together. We are sisters and brothers in Christ. We are family. Turn to the person next to you. This will rock their world, especially if you don't know them. And say, hey, we're family. Go and just get that wherever you are. We're family. We're family. (laughs) Man, I just know some of you too well. Your nonverbal is amazing from up here. Some of you are like, I'd like a new family, please. (laughs) you know the thing with family is you can't pick you you got what you got right so turn back to that person and say you got what you got baby we're still family (laughs) there you go so that means we all have an open door this weekend to celebrate together we have hundreds if not thousands of graduates in our hope family this weekend now it's for you Your family, these are your kids, your sisters and brothers, your family. And so we celebrate it together. Let's do it. Let's let's not just talk about it. Let's do it. I've learned. I've learned from past experience that when you say, graduates, everybody stand up. The extroverts are like, should I come up and stand next to you? And the introverts are like, I'm graduating, and you couldn't make me stand up if you tried. There's no way. So I'm not going to have you stand up, but if you're graduating, just, just give me a little hand up, like right to here. I, I can see you. Nobody else really can. Oh, there's a lot of you. Praise God for all of you. That's awesome. There you are. There you are. All over the room. Whatever campus you're at, I hope your hands are up. And now I'm going to do something else. I want to also have us together honor the heroes Not just the parents, but the Sunday school teachers, the Hope Kids, we call it here at Hope, the the junior high, the senior high group leaders, the amazing ministry of volunteers who lead these groups for thousands of students in our community, the the, uh, coaches, the educators, the teachers in the community, uh, the Vacation Bible School volunteers. If you've done any of that over the last 18 years, and you've gotten any of these graduate helped any of these graduates who are graduating this month to this big milestone in their lives. Let's celebrate that together and graduates with them. See how I'm doing this? There's a lot of people who are about to stand up. Everybody stand up if that's you. If you're one of those volunteers, if you're one of those community educators, teachers, whoever you are, and if you're a graduate, stand up. Praise God. Now stay up. Stay up. 
stay up, man, that's a lot. We're gonna pray for you. We're gonna pray a blessing over all of you graduates and the village that helped brought you to this point. Stay up, don't be bashful, stay up. We love you, stay up. Thank you. Put out a hand of blessing, so now everybody has to do something. You say, oh man, I'm gonna get a different Lutheran church. This is not, <laughs> the spirit is willing, but the flesh is so lived. This, here, if it's in the Bible, it's Lutheran. The Bible says this is a natural posture of blessing, according to the Psalms. So you're just doing what God's word says. Aim it for a, for a leader, aim it for a graduate, aim it for somebody who's standing around you, and we'll pray this short prayer of celebration together. Gracious Lord God, we praise you, and we thank you for the opportunity to celebrate, with Costco cake nonetheless. To praise you, to look at these pictures on the screens before and after services and to know, man, we got, we've got an incredible family here at Hope. We've got things to celebrate. We thank you for these grads. We thank you for this milestone in their lives. We thank you for the future that you have paved for them. The Romans 12 Christian life future, whatever they call, are called to do in vocation. We thank you for the volunteers, the educators, the village that's helped raise these kids and brought them to this point, this milestone. We thank you that we get to be church together. We get to be family together. We get to celebrate. We get to experience joy because of your amazing grace. And we pray this all with thanksgiving in our hearts in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in honoring each other. It's easier not to. It's easier to say, I'll wait until it's somebody super duper close to me. No, no, no. It's, it's bigger than that. Love leads to joy. And we're going to miss the joy if we turn everything in life into a competition. If we start counting grandkids, if we start, I had a race with my brothers when we were in our late 20s. That's a bad idea. <laughs> Two brothers, I'm the middle, there's an older one and a younger one, and, and we had this race. And, and it, it was, you know, my, my older brother's a track star. He's super fast, he's gifted. My little brother has other gifts. I have other gifts, even athletic gifts that our older brother doesn't have. But he's faster than we are. But we couldn't accept it. So we challenge him to a race because we think he's getting older. He's 32. We're going to probably beat him easily. And he still smoked us. And I pulled a hamstring and my little brother twisted his ankle. This is the problem. <laughs> this is the futility of living the world's way. Well, I have to be first. I need my wife to see that I'm first. I need my kids to see. I need my mother and father to see that I'm first. I need everyone to see that I'm the fastest of the three brothers. Who cares? Honestly, listen to ourselves. The things that we strive for. Have some grace. Take delight in saying, my big brother is super fast. And I'm really happy and proud of him for that. I, I think that's great. I wish I was fast, but I'm not going to let it ruin my joy. I hope you won't either. Love leads to joy. Take delight in honoring each other. Number two, humility leads to unity. Don't be too proud, verse 16 of Romans 12 says, to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Don't be conceited like that. Don't be arrogant. Don't think you know it all. Well, that's a humbling thing from God through his word, from the one who knows all, the only one who knows all. Saying, you don't know it all. You don't know what I know. I know you better than you know yourself, God could add. I know details of your life that you have blind spots on, that you don't even see. So quit pretending. Quit pretending with some sort of intellectual arrogance either, or, or common sense wisdom arrogance. Oh, I know, nobody else knows what I know. 
Get over yourself. Actually, turn to the person next to you and say that. Get over yourself. Let it go. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. C.S. Lewis, one of the most brilliant minds of the last century, said a proud man's always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that's above you. You're going to miss the elevated stuff. You're going to miss the good stuff because there's no humility. This is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. It's in stark contrast to the rest of the world, which is why the rest of the world has no unity, because humility leads to unity. The retired visitation pastor at my church growing up in Chicago, I've told stories about him before, Pastor Talbot Ronning. He was a Chinese missionary. He was, he was courageous. He was in Europe with another missionary one day when he was a young pastor and they were on a train. You think of a European train. So there's two seats facing this way and then there's another bench facing right at you, just a couple of you know, inches, really, a foot or two away from you. And there was this elderly man who came and sat down on the bench facing the, the uh, missionary uh, and Pastor Ronning. And, and Pastor Ronning, as he tells this story, says, I looked at this frumpy, old, quiet man who had a cane, and I dismissed him. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Three, four hours later, the old frumpy man takes his cane and his luggage and gets off the train at his stop, and the other missionary says to Pastor Ronning, who's preaching this sermon at my church when I'm growing up and telling this story about Romans 12, 16, humility. He says, the other missionary looked at me and said, do you know who that was? And Pastor Ronning says, an old guy? Quiet, shy guy? And the other missionary says, I was too intimidated to say anything to him. That was C.S. Lewis. That was him sitting on the bench across from us. And Pastor Ronning told that story to say, and I missed it. I missed a four-hour conversation with C.S. Lewis because I made a judgment that he wasn't worthy of conversation with us. These young missionaries who are on this tour of Europe going to this conference, what, what could he possibly add for us? It was C.S. Lewis, arguably the greatest Christian thinker of the last century. And I missed it because of my arrogance. I missed it because of my judgment. I missed it because I dismissed people who I don't think are worthy to be in you know, community with me. What are you missing out on? Your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates, the people in the world around you, your, your, your sisters and brothers in Christ. So, well, they can't be in our group. They, they don't qualify. They, they don't fit. They can't, they can't hang out with our study group. They, they're not going to know what we know. I mean, just look at them. You can tell. What are you missing? The Christian life looks different. Romans 12 goes on to say, we're one body, but we're individual parts of that body. Like the body of Christ is one body, Jesus Christ, but he has arms and legs and eyes and ears and every part is important to the body to the human body and so it is with the body of Christ the church we're one body we're one church but we have many different talents many different gifts spiritual gifts many different abilities I never watched the show friends I think I watched a total of two and a half episodes to be more precise but my wife loved that show and so it was kind of on in the background sometimes and there's the six friends Romans 12, 5 says we all belong to each other and that's kind of the bond that they had. They did life together in community. And so they're one group of friends, 
but they're six individuals and they have six different gifts. So Romans 12 actually specifically names six of those gifts. Service, prophecy, teaching, kindness, giving, leading. I really don't know if those match up perfectly with their personalities. Like I said, two and a half episodes, give me a break. And that's not the point anyway. The point is God wants to paint a portrait of you. But it's not a Mona Lisa by yourself. It's you in community. It's you with the people you're doing life together with. And not just your biological family, your church family too. Your sisters, spiritual sisters and brothers in Christ. We all belong to each other. And there's things that you can do together that you can't do alone. What if I wanted to move this altar, this, the Lord's table that sits here? I'm telling you, this thing is super heavy. It always takes several people. I mean, like, it helps if there's eight people to move this just a little bit. I don't want to move it. It's in a good place. But what if I wanted to? There's no way I'm going to be able to do it by myself. But you get about ten of us, any ten of us up here, and it's going to be light work. Many hands make light work. We're better together. We can accomplish more together. Did you give $1.2 million to Ukrainian refugees during the season of Lent individually? Could you? You did as a church family, as sisters and brothers in Christ. What God can do through us together when we put the givers together with the leaders, together with the compassionate, kind people, together with the teachers, together with the people who have visions for the future and can prophesy, together with the people who are here to serve, man, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's the most beautiful thing. Are you missing it? Are you missing it because you have reduced Christianity to an individual pursuit or only hanging out with people who agree with you? Hospitality, the Bible says in Romans 12, hospitality leads to strength. We're better together and we're stronger together. So always be eager to practice hospitality. Everybody say hospitality. Now let's read it in Greek. Philoxenia is the Greek word in the New Testament in Romans 12, 13 for hospitality. And here's the big surprise. Literally, it doesn't mean, hey, have your friends over for dinner. Okay, I told you it'd get a little bumpy. Now it's time to put your seatbelt on, your harness, and pull it really tight. Because this is the part where the Christian life doesn't fit at all. Even with the life most Christians think the Christian life is supposed to look like. I mean, if you really want to know what God's word says, it says philoxenia, which means hospitality. That's how it's translated. Good translation in our English translations of the original Greek. But the original Greek word here literally means love for strangers. Love for enemies. Love for the people that you wouldn't think first, I want to have them over for dinner. Love for the neighbors who don't look like you who have a different ethnicity than you do, who are of a different generation than you are, who are a different nationality or race, who vote differently than you do, who have a different political worldview, maybe have a different religion than you do. Love. Hospitality means not dismissing them. Hospital Biblical Christian life, hospitality means we reach out to those folks. Doesn't mean we conform, do not conform to the ways of this world. We don't conform to the values of this world. But we change the way we think about who's included in our circles. We change the way we think about who gets to hang out in our Bible studies, who gets to hang out in our churches, who gets to be with us. Philoxenia is a really challenging word when you get to the root of it. <laughs> Maybe you're like, 
Why did you bother getting to the root of it then? Why couldn't it just be have your friends over for dinner? You can do that too. That's a good thing too. But this word is so much deeper than that. It means Batman and Catwoman are going to hang out together on the same motorcycle sometimes. Even though they're bitter enemies. I mean, she's a criminal for crying out loud. It means, biblically speaking, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson are going to be inseparable friends in daily life. Even though they were fierce opponents for the Celtics and the Lakers back in the day. But now you can't pull them apart. It means the most cons- one of the most, if not the most, conservative Supreme Court justice over the last generation. And one of the most, if not the most, liberal Supreme Court justice over the last generation are actually fast friends and had each over and their families over for dinner frequently before they both died. That's the Romans 12 Christian life. It's not just hanging out with people you agree with. It's stepping forward. It doesn't mean you conform Christian values to the values of this world. It doesn't mean you say, oh, well, it's all good. It doesn't matter. But you love the person. I mean, you genuinely develop a friendship. You genuinely develop a bond. You do life to get, you don't dismiss anybody because you disagree. I don't know where this teaching started and American Christians have completely embraced it and it's as anti-biblical as anything compared to what Romans 12 actually says. It says the only way you get to hang out with me is if we agree. The only way we're gonna be friends The only way we consider ourselves, you know, church family together is we have to be in full agreement on everything. We have to agree on everything. You see, but it's more comfortable when we all agree. It's an easier conversation when we all agree. It's more fun for me if we all agree because I won't be challenged at all. And I won't remember I have a calling to be an evangelist, to share the good news, not just with a holy huddle of people who are already convinced, which is what most of religious Twitter is anyway, on both sides. I saw some stuff on Twitter this week that deeply offended me from people that I thought I could trust, at least on a certain level. Deeply offended me. Not Nobody in the church family, outside, broader church. Deeply offended me. I, I, said, I couldn't disagree more with what I'm reading here. Dismiss the person? Say we're done being, do, doing any semblance, loving one another? We don't have to, I don't have to love you anymore because I disagree with you so passionately. Well, that's what the world says. Romans 12 says, do all that you can to live at peace with everybody. Be more Larry and Magic. Be more uh, Scalia and Ginsburg. Batman and Catwoman. Do you have any friends that you don't agree with on big things? Do you have anybody in your life like that? Do you have neighbors who maybe live 32 feet away from your front door who you don't hardly give the time of day for because they don't look like you? Or they have an accent? Or or they don't fit in to, to the people you prefer to hang out with? That's not the Jesus way. It's not the Christian life. Abraham Lincoln famously said this once, I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends. You want to make a difference? You want to live the Jesus life? You want to experience the fullness of joy? When it comes to your enemies, pray that God will bless them. The second thing the Bible says in Romans 12 with life with enemies is take a hard pass on paybacks. Oh, this one's hard. Never pay back evil with more evil. It was a while ago now, years ago, 
that on a Sunday morning just like this, the most famous religious picketers in America showed up at Lutheran Church of Hope to picket us. Those of you who've been around for a long time will remember this well. They were trying to keep you from driving into the church parking lot and coming to worship here at our West Des Moines campus. They're the famous ones who go to military funerals frequently and hold up very colorful, really hate-filled signs about how God hates America. And they say God hates people of certain sexual orientations and God hates all these things. And they, and they say, yeah, because we say this because the Bible. This, this is our view. Now, theologically, they're off. They're just, they're, just not, they're just not on solid ground at all. Biblically, they're not on solid ground at all. And when we heard they were coming, because they give you advance notice because they want to pick a fight, and then they want to video it, and then they want to sue you in court, that's kind of how they make their money. When they let us know this, and, they, and then I talked to some other pastors, and said, don't, don't pick a fight. But man, everything in my sinful human nature was like, come on, let's rumble. <laughs> how dare you come here and harass the sheep that God's called me to be one of the shepherds for? How dare you? Who do you think you are? And, you, and the world would say, yes, righteous anger. Let them have it. It's the only thing that's going to work. Actually, it never works. How many people have convinced you of an alternative view because you read their tweet? Because they said, well, this is what I think. Oh, well, I never thought of that, I guess. And now I totally disagree with myself. For the last 28 years, I've thought something totally different. Now, until I read your tweet. <laughs> and so the way we combat that is we say, I'll get you back with my own tweet. And then it escalates and escalates and escalates and escalates. How's that going for us? I mean, I wanted, to, I wanted to fight. I wanted to bring out all my theological weapons. We bring our whole pastor, I mean, Pastor Richard against those guys? It's not a fair fight. <laughs> I mean, we were going to go, we were going to rumble, let's go. And then there was a part of me that was even darker. Like, I'm 6'5", 225, I think I can handle most of them. Pastor Eric's a three-time All-American wrestling champion. Let's, we'll bring him, Lance Farrell from our church family. It's a 732-degree black belt or whatever it is. You want to go? <laughs> Let's go! I mean, I thought about all these things. I confess. That's what was going on inside of me. And I'm sure it's a battle. There's a battle going on for your soul. Do you know that? For mine too. And if we aren't careful, we're going to say, this is the way the world does it. This is the attitude the world takes. This is the way the world handles enemies and conflicts. I guess it's the best way. And then God's word comes and says, take a hard pass on paybacks. Never pay back evil with more evil. The best revenge is no revenge, so move on and be happy. If you can't shake it off, Jesus says, go and point out the fault of that person one-on-one -on -one just between the two of you. It almost always works. Instead of telling all your friends and telling everybody but the person who offended you. So I wrote a letter to the person who offended me on Twitter this year. I tried to keep it fair and kind, but it was, look, this really deeply offended me that you did this. Do that, Jesus says. Don't pick a fight. So I'm not standing up and announcing, here's what it was and here's what it did. It doesn't matter. You're better than this. You were made for more than this. So we took a small group of people up the 
pathway to where they were picketing on the sidewalk, these protesters, these religious protesters, and we put out a table, we put the best tablecloth we could find in the church on it, and we fed them breakfast. Because Romans 12 goes on to say this, when it comes to life with enemies, number three, go the extra mile for peace. If they're hungry, feed them your enemies. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. My word, what I wanted to do, my sense of justice was let's fight. And then I was directed to God's word. He's like, oh, let's do that instead. I'm sure they're hungry. Let's feed them. And we decided not to bring up a plate of eggs. They're like, oh, they're poisoning the eggs. They're trying to kill us. So I think this is just kind of ironic and funny. We brought them ho-hos and (laughs) ding-dongs. I'm resisting the temptation to make a connection between the name of the food and the people we were. Don't make me do that. I'm just telling you what we did. It wasn't on purpose. Like, it was just like, well, we wanted to give them food that, you know, cupcakes, okay? We, we wanted to give them stuff that would actually be loving. And they yelled at us the whole way up the hill when they saw us coming. They, they noticed me. They must have seen my picture somewhere. I don't know how they did this. They did the research. They're naming my mother's name. I know. I'm like, okay, forget the food. Let's go. (laughs) But that's just what they want. Go the extra mile for peace. As far as you're able, live at peace with everyone. Look at this high school student crossing the finish line at the state track tournament this past weekend. I don't know who she is. I don't know what school that is. But I can tell she's pretty happy. She's pretty, she's pretty surprised. She's, she's, feeling, she's feeling really good in this moment as she crosses this finish line. And I'm sure she is a gifted athlete, and I'm sure she worked really hard. You have to work really hard to get to that point. I'm sure she worked really, that Romans 12 says that. Don't be lazy. Work really hard at what God has given you gifts to do. So she did. 1 Corinthians 9 says, though, Paul, who must have been an athlete, writes, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, athletes discipline their bodies to win a prize that's going to fade away someday. You, Christians, go ahead and do that. That's fine. But make sure that your biggest priority is you're disciplining yourself spiritually to win a prize that lasts forever. To find joy in life again. Go the extra mile for peace. Go the extra mile. Discipline yourself spiritually. Don't just know what these words say. Have the courage to apply them to your daily life. Because there's no joy, there's no freedom if we don't. This is life with friends and this is life with enemies. Abe decided to do that for Moish, to go the extra mile. And it was the last episode of this last season. So it's four seasons and seven episodes where Abe didn't have one nice word to say to Moish. Not once in the script of every episode of this show until this last episode. And it wasn't until he thought Moish was dead. Moish had a heart attack and he's in the hospital. And and Abe gets a confusing phone call that leads him to believe that that Moish is dead, that he died in the hospital. And so he is a writer now. He's written this obituary and and he's going to bring it in and he's going to read it to Moish's dead body and and all of the family who's there. But look what God does with us. He gave Abe an opportunity and he must have been working on Abe's heart because Abe found grace. And so he found a holy moment 
and he found joy that he had never had before. Take a look. I, what kept you? I, but you're alive. I am, yes. You're not dead? No, I'm not. Uh, just the call. I figured... You hoping for a different outcome? No, I'm fine with it, obviously. I tried to call you. Some disgruntled employee rushed me off the phone. Oh, well, that's terrific, really. <laughs> just surprised. What's that, Abe? What? In your hand. Oh, it's nothing. You're holding it very tightly. It, it's just... Uh... It says Moshe's obituary. You wrote my obituary. No, uh... You wrote something entitled it Moshe's obituary. I... You couldn't get the guy who wrote Einstein's? No. I just... Yes, I wrote something. Well, what were you going to do rushing in here like that? I think I was going to read it. To me? Yes. Well, I was unconscious. Or dead, yes. I'd like to hear it. What now? I'm a little curious, too. Same here. You work for the hospital. You don't get a vote. Abe. Well, it was just a first draft, so I haven't finished it, but I just talked about your father and the pickle cart. We all know that story. Mm. So um, you started a clothing manufacturing business. There was no Roth. It was all you. Gave you full credit. Thank you. Oh, uh, Moish brought over the 13 Jews, saved them. Very nice paragraph about that. Good, good placement. And uh, well, after the 13 Jews, I, I do a long run about whether or not God exists. He does. Well, that's been the debate. There's no debate. He does. Okay, I know you feel like that. Hey, but... I'm lying in a hospital bed. Give me this. God exists. You made sure our daughter was taken care of even though she was not married to your son anymore. You were a very good man. And I, I miss you very much. But you're not dead, so. Well, that was very nice, Abe. I'm gonna get some ice cream. Who wants ice cream? Ice cream sounds well, good. I'm gonna get some coffee. I want ice cream. Just get some ice cream, trust me. Ice cream sounds great. I think the machine will take it to money. I doubt it. I have some change. Since when you told me you were broke? Ma. Why didn't you let me? When are we gonna say the nice things to people? Even the people who rub us the wrong way. After they die, it's so much better to say it while they're still alive. Please, hear me very clearly in this. I'm not, God is not talking about loving your enemies, meaning that if you're in a relationship or used to be in a relationship with an abuser or somebody who trampled over you, that you're supposed to go back and be a doormat and, and get back into that situation. That's not wise. That's not what scripture says. but it does mean we're gonna let go. It doesn't mean we approve of the behavior, the evil, the wrong, the immorality. We don't, we can't, we're Christians. But we let go of carrying the burden of it. We let go of carrying the weight of it, the unforgiveness of it, the total lack of grace of it. 
which is not in alignment with what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. The people who've hurt you even, don't go back and be a doormat for them, but let it go. Love them. If you don't have the will to do it, say, God, your will's gonna have to take over me so that I can forgive, so that I can let it go. Really love them with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other and lifting each other up. Humble yourselves. Live this life that God has created us to live instead of the life that the world says, well, this will be better for you. It's not, it's just not. It's a dead end. Did you see Abe's face? Did you see Moishe's face when they had that breakthrough moment? That doesn't happen if they keep going after each other or if they passive aggressively gossip about each other to all their friends. It only happens when you take this step of faith and you trust God's way is better than the world's way. And I'm here and I've written this thing. I'm gonna tell you how I feel about you, not just the picky points. I'm gonna tell you the deeper stuff, that I love you, that I'd miss you if you were gone. And they have a breakthrough, they have freedom. I have no idea what our breakfast did for the religious picketers uh, back when they picketed this church. But let me tell you what it did to us. The people who went up that hill, it was one of the most exhilarating, inspiring religious experiences of my life. Because I was going a different way even though every human nature, sinful nature, bone in my body wanted to fight. It's like, oh, let's try your way, Jesus. Let's try this better way. And it's freedom producing and it's joy producing. And I'm telling you, we were elated. We were on a cloud. You couldn't have taken us down that day. All day long, we're like, that was amazing. It was amazing to get screamed at. (laughs) Because God loves you, the Bible says, you must certainly love other people like that. Not only will it be better for them and better for the world around them, they might take it, they might not. You don't get to control that, but it'll be better for you. It'll change you. It'll change you. Be transformed, Romans 12, 2 says. Change the way you think. Live the new life. And then the last verse of this chapter, don't let this evil conquer you. But conquer evil by doing good. You can't beat evil with more evil. You can only do it with love. Amen.